during the Civil War, there were a number of names that were used to describe a person that was struggling from being in war, seeing certain things take place, being asked to carry out certain actions. And anyone that was having these mental breakdowns or psychological issues because of war were usually referred to as having irritable heart or soldier's heart, exhaustion or nostalgia. And by World War I, it would be referred to as being shell-shocked or having war neurosis. And by World War II, it would be referred to as battle fatigue or old sergeant syndrome. It wasn't until Vietnam that it would be finally referred to as post-traumatic stress. PTSD was added to the DSM-3 officially in 1980. That would be the third edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. But even so, PTSD was still widely misunderstood and highly disregarded and frowned upon within the service itself. Uh, for instance, during World War I, any soldier or Marine that was displaying issues following combat were typically believed to just have poor moral character or to be cowards. And so the result was just trying to kind of beat it out of them and to get them to be men and to just uh, kind of find some bravery, like stop being weak. And the army uh, would just kick you out for it. If you were showing any kind of issues, psychological issues, the army would give you an other than honorable discharge. And the nature of that discharge would ensure that you lost your BA benefits. Uh, you would lose access to those resources. And so it was kind of uh, a way of saying, you know, we're not going to give you help in the service, nor are we going to allow you to find help outside of it, but good luck, you know, kicking you out for having the issues you do, hope you can figure it out and you're probably gonna have to figure it out by yourself. And within the military, if you do stay in, it adds a whole other aspect of, or a whole other level of struggle because many of us learned to not speak up. Talking about mental health was a weakness. It's uh, like, for showing anything in the army, uh, it's you're kind of seen as being a bad soldier. And so you, you don't talk about going to behavioral health. Uh, you find other ways to deal with it, like drinking or just kind of doing dumb stuff. And that's a little bit more accepted than saying that you need to go talk to somebody. And when you do show issues, a lot of times you, the hazing and the harassment comes from it because, again, just like in World War I, where they considered you to be a coward, uh, it's kind of, it's another trial of just man up. Or now with women being involved, it's kind of the same thing. It's, you're still expected to man up in that organization. And so then, of course, there's the side to it where you re-enter civilian society and civilians have their own perception of PTSD and the people that have it, they have their own labels, stereotypes, stigma, and they, they haven't always been the most welcoming bunch <laughs> when it comes to the military. I mean, you just look back to like the Vietnam War with those guys coming back. Most of them draftees didn't ask to be in the war. Coming back to get spit on and called baby killers and just kind of become alienated from the society that they were told they had to leave. And it certainly happens in other wars as well, because obviously there's a severe disconnect taking, taking place between those that have served and those have, that have not. 
and even more so it's more clearly defined between those that have never served and those that have gone off to war. And so with September being Suicide Prevention Month, uh, and you're probably wondering like, okay, Suicide Prevention Month, why are you talking about PTSD? I recently read a book, it's called The Wounds Within, A Veteran, A PTSD Therapist, and a Nation Unprepared. It's by Mark Nickerson and Joshua Goldstein. And this book, uh, a quick background on it, it's, I mean, the, it's kind of in the title. It's about a veteran, it's a Marine vet. The guy's name is Jeff Lucy. He was an Iraq vet or an Iraq war vet. And uh, the PTSD therapist, I believe that is Nickerson, it's one of the authors. That's the one who uh, had made contact with him upon him coming back from the war. Uh, he was one of, he was a private doctor. So it wasn't somebody related to the VA or anything like that. And then of course, A Nation Unprepared is showing how uh, the society side to it of what you've returned to the transition struggles. And Jeff is a, um, he's a statistic. He's someone that did commit suicide, which is why this book did come to exist because uh, it covers briefly a background about him, what he went through uh, is, you know, to the best of his family's knowledge when he was deployed and the return and what happened with that and the VA failures, things that happened with trying to get him help. And with his suicide, the reason why the family decided to, to share his story was because they wanted to bring awareness to veteran issues and to the issues that the families are often left to deal with when these people come back and are not helped. And it's about their push to get the government to do better, to do right by the veterans returning from war. If you're gonna send them to war, you gotta be prepared for their return. And to overcome the stigma in our society that surrounds mental health and suicide. And so, that's just the quick background on it. But with the book, it talked about how psychological wounds, uh, which those that are often symptoms of PTSD, PTSD often creates a lot of those wounds that make people suicidal, think about suicide or actually carry out the act of committing suicide. And suicide is something that is well known in our military and veteran communities because, I mean, you deal with uh, when this book was published, which I want to say it was around 2014 or 15 that this was published, it's covering uh, more in the 2004 range, I believe. But even then, it was one active member, 20 vets a day committing suicide. We now know that those numbers are higher. And part of this seems to be, uh, which is mentioned in the book, seems to be because of how war itself has changed, how we engage with it, and how there's no longer a clear front line. The threats can be anywhere and everywhere. Uh, we saw that with uh, the Middle East with things like IEDs, like you never know where a threat may be hidden. And because of stuff like that, you have a constant stress. There's a high stress level that just remains at a constant throughout the entire deployment. And then 
because of wars dragging on. I mean, we see this with Afghanistan coming, you know, the 20 year war. Uh, it's a war that lasts so long that the chance of you doing multiple deployments is common. Uh, I'm married to a vet that's been deployed now five or six times. I mean, it's just one of those things that, uh, like with Vietnam, when you did your tour and you came back, a lot of times that was it. Uh, there were instances where people did go back for another tour, but not at the level that you're seeing amongst the vets that were part of the Iraq War, Gulf War, uh, that have gone to Kuwait however many times, uh, Afghanistan, all that. And so what you have is people that are constantly dealing with a transition. You have people that say goodbye, go off to war, do what they're supposed to do, come back, get, you know, try to reacclimate into society just to say goodbye again, to go do it again. And it's just this constant back and forth. And you've also had the advancements in the medical field. And where that adds to it is that before, you know, you go back to World War I, World War II, if you, uh, you lost a limb or you had some sort of injury, the chances of dying from that injury were high. But now with our medical advancements, the chances of dying from your injuries, I mean, it's improved. You're more likely to survive. So it's increased the number of survivors we have from war wounds. And so now you have more people that are dealing with physical wounds. And then you have, I mean, PTSD is prevalent across 9-11 vets, post 9-11 vets. And Suicide is definitely something that is not an unfamiliar thing to us. I don't know very many people that I could walk up to and say, have you ever lost someone to suicide? That's going to say no. Most people I talk to, especially in the veteran community, can name off sometimes more than one. I definitely lost, I would say, three or four people from my CAV unit alone to suicide. And there was an interesting thing that this book, The Wounds Within, that it pointed out. And it mentions how the suicide statistics are likely very off. And a lot of us understand that it's probably not a correct number. There's probably more. And a lot of that is because, and this was news to me, this was something I did not know, but uh, they don't include things in uh, suicide statistics that involves like single car accidents, overdose or violent fights. And some of you may be wondering, well, that's not suicide. However, those are the common ways that people that want to commit suicide, those are three common things that they will do to end their life without having to pull the trigger. And when you don't pull the trigger and you get labeled as an accident overdose or something involving violence, it removes the stigma that's attached to suicide because nobody thinks that you did it to take yourself out. That is something we've seen in the news with veterans that uh, engage or instigate things with police so that the police end up firing on them even though the vet didn't have necessarily this plan to carry out anything to harm people, it was just to get somebody else to pull the trigger. Because then for them, it, it's like, I didn't commit suicide. And so 
for those that either don't want that stigma attached or just can't pull the trigger themselves, those are the common ways they do it. And so when they don't include deaths that involve those things, that means anyone that's doing that stuff that's not pulling the trigger themselves is not being added to these statistics. And so uh, another thing with reading the wounds within was how many memories it brought back for me, uh, particularly with the VA experience. And that's something I've talked about in earlier episodes of this podcast and even in my book, Bottled Away. But uh, like I said before, this story is following the young Marine vet. Uh, well, actually, he was still he was still in, I believe he was a reservist, uh, Jeff Lucy, who served in the war in Iraq. And his struggle with PTSD, with coping and showing signs and even admitting to having suicidal thoughts. And a number of the points that were made following the story were things mostly involving failures of the VA, which could again be broken into more points uh, just in the way that it failed because uh, at the time of Jeff's struggle and from the return from war, uh, it was not there were a lot of things that weren't really on the VA end that it was knowledgeable about. It had not yet been hit by the full influx of the global war on terrorism veterans, the post 9-11 generation, because you had just a huge amount of vets come into the VA system and it was not prepared for those numbers. It's been understaffed and uh, didn't have the correct resources, especially for those Iraq vets coming in because that was the beginning of this new issue for the VA end. And so what happened to people like Jeff Lucy was that when they showed up and they were having these PTSD symptoms and having these like suicidal ideation and uh, just really struggling, they got turned away because the VA didn't really know what to do with them and, or they didn't have space. They didn't have a doctor on site to, do an intake, an involuntary intake, I should say. And, and for people like Jeff, who are having uh, these issues and using uh, substance abuse, basically, as a way to cope, he was drinking. And so if you show up with somebody, at least back then, and said, like, hey, this person is talking about wanting to commit suicide, they're a flight risk, there's all these issues, uh, they need to be watch they need to be taken care of the VA would say if they've been drinking they can't come here and so the issue then is that you have a lot of vets that use substance abuse as a way to cope or to numb but by doing that it cuts them off from help and it cuts them off from resources and another point that was made was that the family had obviously reached out to the VA numerous times and kind of got let down, got turned away, couldn't get Jeff in necessarily, or even get them to stay. Like there were times where they did get him in and they would discharge him knowing that he was talking about committing suicide. He had a, even a plan and they were still like, he's good enough to get out and discharged him. And the guy ended up hanging himself. And so it acknowledges that, but it talks about how on one occasion when the family calls and is basically at the point of begging for help to get help for him. They finally get in contact with someone at the VA that mentions taking him to a vet center. And this is like 
new news to them. They had no idea vet centers even existed. Even the therapist that wrote this book at that time was not even aware that vet centers were a thing. It was a resource that was not known. And so the VA did not disclose this. And I know the VA does stuff like that because in the past, when I've reached out to the VA for help, when you do the routine questionnaires, when you come in, do you feel okay? Have you been depressed, suicidal thoughts? Do you feel safe at home? All that jazz. Uh, I said, I did not feel safe at home and mentioned I was in a domestic violence situation. And they basically just told me, well, that sounds crappy. And didn't tell me at that time that they had a program for intimate partner violence that could have helped me. Because a lot of times they're, the people that work in the VA system aren't even aware of some of the resources that are outside of their department or outside of their field or whatever it is, or just are not knowledgeable about the organization they're working for. And so those were points that I want to say I was glad to see that I wasn't alone in what I've dealt with with the VA, but at the same time, I'm highly disappointed and angry that so many people do have to deal with those problems with the VA because I truly believe that if you're so willing to send people off the war, you have to take responsibility for who you get back from that war and what happens with it. And for people like Jeff and for many other veterans out there, the VA makes them feel like they've given up on them before even giving them a chance when they turn them away. I mean, you look at the number of vets that felt like they had to take it to the level of committing suicide in a VA parking lot or in a lobby because of the amount of times they felt like they had been failed by that organization that swears that it has the veterans interest and, you know, those that have borne the battle and the wounds that come with it, like that they will take care of you. And when they don't do that, it kind of feels like there isn't anybody else. And it's unfortunate that with this story that Jeff's life was ended, but because of it, his family has done a huge campaign to bring about the reforms and the changes that we are seeing now in the VA. I get that the VA is still shit in many ways, but things have changed. As sad as that can sound for people that are still dealing with this stuff, like there have been major changes, major reforms, and more vet centers popping up in other places that are outside of the VA's healthcare system to where if the VA does kind of fail you, uh, that there are other alternatives. You are not completely screwed. And other things that this kind of reminded me of, besides the resources not being uh, mentioned when you're there, it's the being mistreated by physicians and stuff like that. Like I was under the impression when I began the VA healthcare system, like the enrollment, that a lot of the people that worked there, I thought they were veterans and would later realize that they're not. There's a lot of civilians, a lot of people that have no service, like connection or knowledge of actually serving in the service beyond what they hear about from patients. And there were a number of times when I went to uh, like behavioral health or talked to psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, you name it. And you would be sitting there kind of uh, just spilling it, which is hard for a lot of us to do, to actually talk about what's bugging us. 
And I've had people where they're sitting there texting on their phone or they're like flipping through pages or they're looking through stuff like they're, they're just waiting for their turn to respond to tell me what prescription they think I should take or to redirect me to somewhere else. And they're not actually listening. And there are a lot of times where I really felt like, okay, you just don't care. And so I'm not even going to try anymore. And when I first got into the healthcare system, it was, uh, I was really struggling with anxiety. I had isolated myself for so long. It was really difficult to get myself to go to appointments and appointments stressed me out. So I started canceling them. And uh, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, this book, The Wounds Within, talks about how the VA doesn't really consider sometimes the resistance that veterans are going to put up towards getting help. And it's not because they don't want help. It's part of that mentality that it's weak to reach out. It's weak to say anything. And so when I started canceling my appointments and was saying like, I can't come, they just straight up took it as, well, then I guess you're fine or you're not as bad as you're making yourself out to be. Because if you really wanted help, you would show up to your appointment. But it was like, I can't get to my appointment because I either have domestic issues going on that are barring me from getting to appointments or it's causing me too much. Uh, it's triggering too much for me to do it. And so what do you do when you're being triggered by something? You avoid it. And for me, that was making these appointments and going to the VA that I started to associate with other anxiety things because of the mistreatment taking place and some of the stuff that had happened between me and physicians there or nurse practitioners to where it was like, I'm going to cut out the trigger. And so that's when they were just like, cool, then I guess we, you, you don't need our help since you have it figured out. And they cut me off. And it's not feeling like, uh, like I said, the military mentality, it's not feeling like you can open up. And then when the VA won't help you, it leaves you to depend on family or your buddies. Family doesn't always know what to do. Just like in Jeff Lucy's case, the Lucy family did not know what to do. They did not have the tools when their son came back from war to know how they were supposed to help someone that was suicidal. And they had this uh, family therapist that they were able to take Jeff to, or Jeff was willing to go to on his own that talked to him, but he was not equipped to deal with stuff with PTSD in regards to war because it wasn't something he was, I mean, he understood PTSD he was a PTSD therapist, but in relation to what was happening to these young men and women in war, he was not as knowledgeable as he needed to be to be able to actually handle that. And he had even said up until Jeff, he had never had a patient commit suicide. And so when Jeff did commit suicide, it really threw him because, I mean, he felt like he failed too. And so that changed his whole process of what he was going to learn and how he was going to be more trained in understanding the post-traumatic stress side uh, when it was related to war, when it was related to military issues. And when it comes to stuff like reaching out to your buddies, a lot of us say, you know, reach out, call a friend, whatever. But I know if anyone's like me, calling anyone is difficult. It feels impossible. And because I still am kind of stuck in my ways of not wanting to bother anybody with my problems, I will not call to say that I have issues. However, I accept every call that I receive from buddies that have issues. 
And the problem with that is a lot of people know that they can call me and they can reach out to me, but not a lot of people understand that I'm struggling too. And so what happens is I pile everybody else's stuff on top of my own. And then I shut down because I will not call. I will not do exactly what I tell other people to do to, you know, get help or to not feel alone or whatever. And, and so I think sometimes we, we do need to take care of each other, but sometimes we neglect to acknowledge the people that, uh, you know, it's the strong friend thing, even strong people hurt. Sometimes I think we forget that, you know, we have people we can call, but then we need to (laughs) figure out how to help the people that aren't going to pick up the phone and find ways to stay connected with them because uh, it's easy to get stuck in isolation. And there was a, a quote mentioned in this that I took from this book, I should say, where it says, people who harbor suicidal thoughts and don't share them, these thoughts can fester and isolation is fertile territory for disturbing thoughts. And I'm an example of that. I was one of those people that immediately isolated myself after the military because of a lot of a lot of guilt, a lot of pain, and just wanted to get a, away from everything military related, and that included the veteran community. So in my isolation, I really turned on myself. I had a lot of mental problems pop up that weren't so much issues when I was still enlisted because I had a distraction and I had people around to kind of keep me up and keep me going. And then when I lost all of that, things that I thought didn't bother me anymore, things that I didn't think were still an issue because I didn't really think about it, like military sexual trauma, things like that flooded in once I was by myself and I had too much time to think. And we need to change how how we treat one another in the veteran community, in the military community even. I mean, Jeff in this book mentions that when he was going through boot, that there was a recruit having a really hard time that ended up going into one of the latrines to slit his wrists and drink rubbing alcohol. And when one of the drill sergeants found him or drill instructors found him, he was verbally lashed for what he had done. And it wasn't looked at as, okay, this is you know, something's up. It was just seen as like, okay, weak sauce, like get him, get him out of here. We don't want some, somebody like this in our Marine Corps. And that happens both on the military and veteran side. I saw plenty of people get shit on that were trying so hard to say that they had an issue while I was in the army still. And many that felt like they could not say anything to their leaders or that they were going to be punished for having problems or that they would get kicked out for saying they had problems. And then on the other side, you have like uh, people that try to reach out to the VA, but are worried that the VA is going to commit them. They don't want to lose their freedom. They don't want to lose their kids. They don't want to lose something like for me, I was really quiet because I thought if I talk about PTSD or problems or mention that there are days where maybe it would be better if I was gone. So I can't have them take away my only reason for living right now. And so you shut down and you try to deal with it until, you know, it completely takes over your life and you get either really close to the edge or you actually step off of it. And we have to get rid of this idea of it being selfish and actually like when people, a lot of people kind of shy away from suicide, talking about it, people that are known to think about it, uh, people don't know what to say or what to do. And sometimes it's as simple as trying to help somebody understand that 
uh, it's like asking them, the therapist in The Wounds Within says, uh, one thing he asks his patients that are talking about suicide, he says, what problem do you want to end so you can feel okay? Because by doing that, it puts it into the perspective that you want to end a problem, not your life. There is something happening in your life that you would feel like you could function again if it wasn't there. So it's not uh, to the point of where you have to end your life for this problem. And so then he says, then the people that are able to focus on the problem and not on just leaving life behind will come back years later and say how thankful they were that they didn't take their life because uh, they're better or they've healed enough to feel like uh, they're living life again. They're not just existing within a hell. Now, does that mean it's going to fix everybody or everybody's going to be able to figure out how to fix the problem that makes them feel like they'd be better off dead? No. Uh, some people truly are at a point where the the pain outweighs their reason to push forward. And when you carry that pain for a long time, it's a heavy thing. And unfortunately, when you talk about stuff like that, to give people an understanding, it gets censored. Like for me, I've talked about it through the podcast and blog and social media where I brought up, you know, times when I was thinking about like having suicidal thoughts or just feeling like I'd be better off dead. I, mentioned why it got to that point and mentioned how sometimes the pain is too much to bear, especially when you feel like you're just always trapped in the darkness. It's really hard to see the light. And I nearly lost everything I had been building up to that point, especially with like Cruise Corner, because things like Instagram considered that to be promoting suicide. And so if you can't have the conversation about suicide, you're not going to understand it you're not going to ever get past the stigma of it. And so that's one of those things that I feel like has to change is how, uh, how we're I mean, being just allowed to talk about it and people realizing that uh, there are things you can say to help somebody, but then there's also things you can say and things you can do that is never going to change somebody's mind. And that's what is that's the difficult side to dealing with suicide. But again, by having these conversations and communicating, people would understand that. Before I end this, because I'll probably do another episode on this book. I can't promise that just because uh, I'm always reading. So I might get, I might totally forget. <laughs> I'll be honest. I might just forget that I was going to do another episode. But to end this one, I wanted to uh, end it mentioning a quote from Jeff Lucy's mom, Joyce Lucy. And she said, uh, and this is in regards to, so you kind of understand the context of this quote, uh, because they were doing all uh, the campaigning to try to shine some light on this. So politicians understood, VA understood all this stuff uh, in terms of pushing for reform and psychiatric services for veterans and stuff like that. Uh, how talking about her son's suicide, like when it first started, it was really difficult to do. And in one instance in the book, uh, she actually breaks down before she's able to really say anything. But she says, the more you talk about it, the more you adjust to it. And some people aren't going to say nice things. 
but it it kind of fortifies what you're doing even more. It pushes the cause even more. And that's what I do through Cruise Corner. I talk about it. And as I talk about it, I adjust to it. I talk about military sexual trauma, suicidal ideation, post-traumatic stress, transition troubles, whether it was deployment or leaving the service. All those things I talk about still to this day, I talk about with much more ease. It's a lot easier to talk about now than it was when I first started. Uh, When I first started, I had to write about it and post it as a blog because I couldn't say it out loud. The first 15 or so episodes I did on the Cruise Corner podcast were very shaky, uh, a little emotional, had a hard time holding myself together to tell my own story. And over the almost three years that I've been running Cruise Corner and telling my story and trying to help others share theirs through this platform, I've taken you know, there's been some pushback and there's people like Joy says, there's going to be those people that don't say nice things. And, uh, and it's very true. There have been a lot of veterans, especially that have reached out to me to say that I need to basically shut up and that I need to keep it to myself and that I'm a perfect example of why women shouldn't serve or why women shouldn't go to war or whatever, some nasty thing that keyboard warriors like to say. And that right there is the note that I want to end this episode on and something I want people to not just think about for the month of September for suicide prevention, but from here out, if it hasn't been something you've thought of to this point, and that is that you have to watch what you say and you can't go from posting on like, say the 22nd of the month talking about you know, the things we got to do, and this is what you got to do to bring awareness. And this is how you have to do to prevent it. And you got to reach out and you got to do these things and then turn around after that day ends and go back to firing off nasty DMs to people or, you know, attacking people for reaching out or for trying to talk about it or for trying to get the stigma to disappear or shitting on people that are at the VA trying to get help because you don't know how hard it was for some people to get themselves there or even for somebody else to get them there because families feel this shit too so if you are in this community military veteran even a civilian if you want suicide to end it starts with not contributing to it Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more episodes from Cruise Corner, make sure to subscribe. You can listen to episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. If you would like to be featured on a future episode, please reach out to our Instagram page at cruise underscore corner.